This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Women on the Waves, a show focusing on issues affecting women, here on Christchurch's community access station Plains FM. I'm Rachel Hazelden, and today on Women's Lives, Women's Stories, I'm speaking to Julie Nolan, Artistic Director and one of the founders of Red Leap Theatre. Julie makes a massive contribution in the theatre and arts world and has been a key part of many original works that connect with New Zealanders. Red Leap Theatre's next work is a contemporary response to Janet Frame's novel, Owls Do Cry. Kia ora, Julie. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Wonderful. Now, I am aware that Owls Do Cry has its opening in Oamaru on the 4th and 5th of October, and then later in Auckland, later in October, and we're not recording live. I'm aware it's nine more sleeps. How are you feeling? (laughs) Oh my gosh, when you put it that way, it sounds so terrifying. Um, not meaning to freak you out, but that's <laughs> when I'm excited, I start counting the sleeps. No, no more sleeps, it's like Christmas. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm feeling really excited. We're, we're deep in the middle of process. We're working in this big, dark, cold shed at the moment. Mm. And um, it's all, all the pieces are starting to come together. It's really beautiful. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of making the work in quite a raw state, you know, we're finding the work on our feet, we're working it out as we go, and then any time there's some beautiful design element that comes in, a tiny bit of light or some AV or sound, I can start seeing it all coming together and forming. So um, it's exciting, it's really exciting. It's, it's a very fresh work. So it's brand new, we're creating it as we go, there's no script, I mean, there's an absolutely beautiful book. Um, but... Yeah, we're working it out as we go in a very collaborative way. So I'm looking forward to an audience seeing it now. Yes, and I was really interested to read about your process and the style of theatre you do. Uh, I had to look up devising Uh theatre and very very multimedia style. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me more why you were drawn to that when you were younger. What why that field? Oh, yeah. So devising, I mean, really, you've just got that creative opportunity to make things up yourself. And I feel like today, when we exist in a world where there's so much great TV and film and so many great published scripts, Mm. the opportunity to devise, it's very collaborative. So it's a chance to really invite people into a process and really bring themselves to something. So it's always completely original. And I think maybe that's the thing that attracts me to it the most is the originality of it. So you've got the originality of the creative voices in the room, but then you've got the originality of the product. There'll never be anything like it in the world. And that's the bit I think I really, really love. Um, you have total ownership over something completely unique. Mm, beautiful. And yeah. what do you think is important about Janet Frame's work? What led you to looking at her work? Yeah. Well, I've always loved her. I've always really loved her writing. And I think when I was younger, it really resonated me on so many levels. So 
I personally loved the writing itself, but I also really loved the kind of inner life of the work as well. I loved the way it opened up my imagination. Mm. So when I was seeking another work, as a company, Red Leaf's really committed to women's stories and talent, and it was something that I made a decision as an artistic director that I wanted to be part of the solution of equalizing the voices in the world. Mm. So there was a lot of kind of conversation around um, parts for women being no good when they were over 40 and so many narratives written by men and men trying to write women. And I just wanted to be part of turning that tide. So I kind of wanted to get out of the problem of it and be a part of the solution of it. Um, so really committed to women's stories and women as the story itself. Mm. So when I was considering our next work, I thought, wow, I really want to, I really want to bring um, a, a woman writer um, to the stage. And naturally I thought, well, I've always loved Janet Frame. Yes. So I thought, let's do this. And I connected with um, the Janet Frame Trust, which is Pamela Gordon, who's actually Janet Frame's niece. And the conversation originally was maybe doing an adaption of, Al of Angel at My Table mm -hmm. because it's been made into a film. And I thought, wow, it would be really interesting as a live theatre show. Um, and then the conversation just came round to Alistair Cry. Nobody ever had the rights before. She's never allowed anybody to have the rights mm. because she's never felt that people have got the right feel for the work or even the right care for the author herself. So the fact that Alistair Cry is fiction. Mm. and all the characters are fiction and to be treated as such. Mm. So um, I felt like she set it out as a little challenge, so I sent her a creative pitch, an artistic pitch, that was based around the work being absolutely a work of fiction, that it being very contemporary, very non-narrative and non-literal, mm. and told in a very visual and physical style. I thought, I'll just lay it out there, you know? Yeah. And she accepted the pitch, so um, here we are. Wonderful. It was so... Interesting for me, uh, as I knew this production was coming up, I had never read Janet Frame. And oh. sometimes uh, people talk to me about, you know, having done it at school, and I think, I don't remember any New Zealand writers at school. And oh. the only thing I knew about Janet Frame was from the 1990 film, An Angel at My Table. Mm. Uh, so I've been <laughs> madly reading it this week. and. Oh. Um, it's my first experience and fascinating characters, uh, rich, interesting uh, slice of New Zealand life that even though it's 50, 60 years ago, um, yeah. I, I can see my life in it and um, her language is so skillful and yeah. it's been such a treat. Oh yeah, it's really a wonderful thing, isn't it? And we kind of... Um, for book lovers, such as myself, um, we kind of want that feeling of coming to the theatre to be a little bit like that experience when you have a new book and you haven't opened it up yet. Mm. And you're not quite sure what's going to be inside. And Janet Frame's work really does that for me. It takes me on these kind of inner journeys that I don't expect. And so we kind of hope the production reflects that a little bit and um, allows just people to just engage in their own experience of the work. Mm. And there's so many... When I thought about the themes, and I, I thought poverty, loss, mm. family, grief, mental health, disability, small town life, uh, mm. that so many rich places for an audience to connect. So many rich places, and a big theme that I find as well is um, what's underneath the words. 
So there's all these words that are incredible in themselves, but there's always this underlying kind of river of meaning. She's always reaching for something else. So we've been really interested in that sort of game, I guess you could say, of trying to work out what's underneath the words. There's always subjects. She's always just sort of slightly pointing at something. Mm. So that's been a little bit of a hold for us is the way that the imagery takes you on a kind of energetic and emotional journey through the book. Because it's amazing, actually, everybody you talk to has had their own experience of reading the book, and it's really different. Mm. Um, so when we began the work and we were like, okay, we're going to make Alistair cry, but we realized there's no one way to make it. You can't, you can't make the book as it is. Yes. So the only thing we could bring to it was how we responded to the book now, which was bringing young actors in their 20s who had never experienced Janet Frame right through to people who have been reading her for 20 years and absolutely love her. Mm. So it's a way of finding kind of a unified way through the work. That's not, not literal. It's non-narrative. It's not literal. It doesn't take you on a, on a sort of arc, a, a traditional story arc. Yes. It's kind of an emotional arc that will carry you through. Mm. And such powerful messages about life. There were a couple of quotes I saw that you put on social media uh, from Janet Frame. One was, I discovered that my freedom is within me and nothing can mm. destroy it. And the other one was, being alive is tangled. And both of them I loved. I was like, what a wonderful way to talk about life. Yeah, that tangled one's directly out of Alistair Cry. It's such a great quote, isn't it? Mm. I love playing the game. I get the book and I just play the game. I do this quite a lot. Um, of just opening the book at any page. Mm. And I always find something I've never read before. Mm. Or a little tiny bit. When you just read that tiny passage, it just strikes you in a different way that you hadn't experienced before. Mm. Absolutely. I'm thinking about what you said about women's stories and that's something very important to me as well. And my first connection with Red Leap Theatre was I saw in Wellington Kororareka. I'm not saying it right. Kororareka. that's it. The Ballad of Maggie Flynn. And yeah. such a different story that I'd previously seen about New Zealand stories and um, about women and their complexity and uh, Māori woman and Pākehā woman and the whole cast was women and that they played both male and female roles. Mm. Um, it was uh, a revelation to me that that could oh. be created. Mm, yeah, mm. I love making that work. It was interesting because the way it was originally written um, and it was written by a guy, mm. um, which was an interesting tangle in itself, you know, a very prevalent um, thing to be dealing with today. But um, I watched the workshop. We workshopped initially with men playing men's parts and women playing women's parts. And it was all very literal and as written and things like that. And then just as I watched it, it became so clear to me that women needed to hold the men's parts as well, that as females, we needed to, we needed to hold both perspectives and therefore kind of maintain that dramaturgical control of the story, that we were saying the story that we wanted to say as artists, as, as women today. Mm -hmm. So um, it was quite a, um, it was one of those moments where you just absolutely know that this is the way, and then you've got to convince everybody else <laughs> to come on board with you. Yes. So um, it felt so clear to me. And once that decision was made, then 
the rest of the decisions around it could roll out really easily because we weren't grappling with men telling women's stories. We were able to take hold of it ourselves yes, and, and put that out into the world in the sense that we owned it. So again, it's, it's taking hold of some of those problems and finding solutions. And it was also just so much fun. It was so much fun for those women to play men mm. and inhabit men. And the writer, Paolo, was very much like, you know, if you guys are going to play men, you've got to pretend you've got a penis because <laughs> men have penises. So yep. for the women, they had to kind of step up and go, oh, yeah, my physicality is really different. I'm going to sit differently. I'm going to stand differently. And yes. it was important to him that he held that the men weren't caricatured. These, mm. these were, you know, real characters simply played by women. Mm. So, yeah, it was really fun. It was such a fun um, show to make and, and take around New Zealand. Mm. And I'm thinking about that your theatre is very female-led, your creative team, both with yeah. uh, Ours Do Cry and previously, and that you started oh, Red Leap Theatre with... Um, Kate Parker and Lauren Hughes. Yes, those are the names yeah. I was looking for. Uh, yeah. Back, so originally with Kate... Um, 2008, was it? 2008, yeah. And then joined with Lauren as well in 2008. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kate and I studied um, acting together at the John Bolton Theatre School in Melbourne way back in like 1996. Mm. And then we made lots of work together just as makers. So in um, terms of that question around devising, that was essentially how I trained. So I trained as an actor empowered to create my own work. And I mean, that's been so liberating and so awesome um, because I'm not constantly waiting for scripts or for parts or for an agent to give me an opportunity. Um, I'm basically empowered to make my own stuff. Yes. And um, that's been incredibly liberating and awesome. And we've been so fortunate as a company that we've been doing this professionally for 11 years now. Um, and you know, making work for 20 years, actually, all up. Yes. Um, but also in saying that, it's the hardest way to make a work, I think. I think devising is so fun and so freeing and so great, but also so challenging. Um, but that's the way that Kate and I trained. So, um, yeah, we came out of school, just made work together, did the old doing everything, putting the whole set into the back of our car and driving it around the country and all that kind of stuff. And then in 2008, we had an opportunity to create um, Sean Tan's work, The Arrival, which is a graphic novel, and it's incredibly beautiful. And someone handed it to Kate, actually, and she said, you and Julie should make this. And Kate went, yeah, what a great idea. Yes. And um, it was a piece that we sort of would show. And Kate brought it to me, and I, I opened a page. And it was a beautiful page of a man opening a suitcase. And inside the suitcase, he could see his family that he's left behind at home. Mm. And the family was in miniature, and it was done in sort of scale. And you could see his memories existing in his suitcase. And I just totally got goosebumps. And I thought, oh, wow, I can see this. But Sean Tan's imagery is phenomenal. Oh, he's incredible. Yeah. And his detail and his drawings are so amazing. And I think because of his depth of detail, there's so much that you can pull up that when it's made live, all that detail still exists, but it's been magnified for the stage. So because he's so conscious in his creating of the work, 
there's something magic about it when you translate it that it, I don't know, making that project was kind of magic, really. Mm. It was um, a really big project and people were like, you can't do it, it can't be done. Um, but we did and we loved making it. So um, we formed professionally as a company in 2008 specifically to be able to put that work on at the Auckland Festival in 2009. Mm. And then from there have just been fortunate enough to keep being funded ever since the arrival Mm. Um, started us off actually in a really incredible way. I'm always interested in in how women source their confidence, and I the, the themes I'm sort of hearing in your speaking is a lot around collaboration. D- do you think it's made a difference for you over the years that you've had other women to build this company with? Oh, definitely. Oh my goodness me. Um, back in the early days, Lauren, Kate and I all had little children and um, we made all our works with different age babies, you know, from <laughs> someone was always pregnant in the room, yeah. there was always a new baby, there was always a toddler and um, having each other's backs through that, I mean, my goodness, but the challenges of making work, having to work hard, having to perform at a certain level while you're trying to raise a family and just keep everything together. It's just so huge. And I'm kind of slightly coming out the other side now in that my children are 12 and 15 and can make their own lunches and mm. tie their own shoes and stay home for a little bit after school and things like that. And But I, I reflect back on my time when my children were little and I do wonder how we all got through it. But we got through it because we had each other's backs. So um, your kid's sick, bring them to work or stay home. You need you need help with something or pass me the baby or let's get an intern into the work who's going to hold your baby while we're rehearsing. So we're always problem solving. And, um, you know, I really care about this a lot, that young women can stay in their industries, they can stay working if that's what they want to do and be well supported to do it. Mm. So we've got a um, one of our cast members has got a little girl who's two and... Um, my thoughts are just like, what do you need? You know, what do you need so you can still work, you can still be here with lots of energy, be really focused on the work, and um, but still be able to be a great mother and present with your baby and she's happy. And so, yeah, I really think about that, the way we prioritise everything. So we work eight till four so she can get away and pick up her child. And... Um, you know, she's a valuable creative and I need to make sure she feels really supported and stays in the industry. We can't mm-hmm. lose her because she's got a child. So, um, I yeah, love I love your practical approach. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's nappies and poos. And, <laughs> and you know, bringing up kids is really practical. Isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and my kids have come into rehearsal so many times and yeah. I've made them a nest and I've sat up with books and sleeping bags and a big cold shed and... Um, it's kind of cool, really, because they can see what mum does and, and see the sort of scale of the things we're trying to make and be a part of it. Yes. So there's there's always been kids in the room. And with Kornadatika, when we first made the work, Miriana McDowell was pregnant. Um, so we made her a costume that could expand on a very practical level. Yes. And we made her a little nest so she could have sleep and lunchtime because she was tired. And, Gorgeous. Um, you know, that little baby feels like part of the show, actually. She was mm. there in the, in the making of the work and in our first season, she mm. was there on stage. Mm. And I reckon that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. So what what do you like about being a woman? Oh, that's 
that's a good question. I, I love um, for ours to cry. We've got a four women creative team, and what we've worked out through this is what our process is, and it's really based on aroha and support and communication and. Um, a really big thing in this work is we're allowed to trust our intuition. And as as female leaders, we're allowed to we're allowed to confidently lead and trust our intuition is the thing that's going to guide us. And I love being able to do that so much. Mm. And so much of our conversation starts with, I feel like, and then it might get really practical. I feel like that seems too long. I feel like it's not quite saying what we want to say. Yes. I feel like I need coffee. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these conversations, we're allowed to be really philosophical about the work and we can be really gentle and we can be vulnerable while still working really hard and having really high expectations on ourselves. Yeah. So um, I love that. I love that. It feels really special. Yeah, Absolutely. We're going to finish up with a song that you've chosen, Aldous Harding, Treasure. What inspired you to choose that? I was inspired to choose it because she's wonderful um, and a New Zealand artist. Also, I've got a quote from Ours Do Cry, and it says, If I travel a hundred miles to find treasure, I'll find treasure. If I travel a hundred miles to find nothing, I'll find nothing. Mm. And I just thought that tied in beautifully with the song. does indeed. Julie, thank you so much for talking. All the best for the show. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Cheers.
Something 